This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome, Dr. Rosen. Dr. Rosen, Rosen, to you. <laughs> One of our listeners did did uh, message Tony and uh, point out that it was Dr. Rosen, Rosen from Fletch. Uh, if you don't know what we're referring to, shame on you. It's There's no spoiler at this point. It's been out for 37 years, something like that. Uh, you can go watch it and enjoy it yourself. Where do you want to start tonight, Tony? Because I, before yesterday afternoon, I had a different lineup, but I didn't know if there's something... Something happened yesterday afternoon. Did you want to talk about that first, or do you want to wait? You, uh, you are the shot caller, so shot. I just, I just show up and okay. talk about whatever. Okay, so I have so no preference. No preference. Okay, I'm, I'm going to play a clip because I think this, this ties right into. Actually, I have two different clips, and I'll play the first one. But I want you to just give me your thoughts on this before we talk about the story that happened yesterday afternoon. Reform, reform. And so, yes, I would like to see the bill in Congress pass on police reform, but I know that the right wing, the racists are opposed to it, and I don't know what's going to happen to it, but I know this, we've got to stay in the street, and we've got to, we've got to demand justice. As a black man, despite all of the efforts, I feel like nothing changes, and George Floyd is waking so many people up. Yeah, nothing has happened just you know despite the rhetoric like what what needs to happen that's different this year well, than all the years we're before we're looking for a guilty verdict we're looking for a guilty verdict and we're looking to see if all of the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd if nothing does not happen then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that to say guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we got, we cannot go away. And not just manslaughter, right? I mean, oh no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is this is guilty. For murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. Congressman, what happens if we do not get, get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should, what should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we mean business. What do you think about this curfew tonight? So I want to point out, uh, she... That's Maxine Waters, Representative Maxine Waters uh, of the get in their face, tell them they're not welcome here fame uh, during the Trump administration. She said we need to be more confrontational. We need to be uh, make them understand more, meaning 700 buildings have been partially or fully destroyed and 26 people died in the making them understand phase. Oh, by the way, most of them African-Americans. Correct. And African-American businesses at that. What? Is there any way to take what she said to mean anything other than increased violence? Because if, if the level well, wait, of buildings we, dead people, we know, we know the answer to this because the precedent has already been set, right? I'm, I'm recalling the, the trademarked insurrection. 
And what has the media assured us? Because I heard her say we have to fight. Well, we've learned that that rhetoric, according to all of our enlightened betters, automatically means that you're promoting violence, right? That was the, that was the message because Donald Trump said we need to fight. And that was a call apparently for the QAnon hordes to take over the entire government. So now a, a member of the House of Representatives – also a lunatic, but we'll, we'll ignore that, um, is saying that they need to fight. Oh, here's the other thing. She has, she's saying this in Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. Maxine was not um, holding forth in California. No, no, she brought her traveling circus to Minnesota and was demanding, of course, we demand a guilty verdict and not just, not just guilty. We need, we need murder. Oh, and I don't even know whether it's first degree, uh, but newsflash Maxine, there wasn't one, but that's okay. She still wants it. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get what we want, uh, we're going to stay in the streets and we're going to get more confrontational. Well, again, more confrontational. Let's see, let's recap what has already transpired, looting, arson, murder, um, federal courthouses under assault, businesses burned out, destroyed. So we're going to get more confrontational. I'm not really sure what that means, but it doesn't sound good to me. And yet, have we heard anything about this from all of these people that were just so appalled that our democracy was under siege, but Suddenly, this is all a okay because listen, we've got to make sure that that white cop gets put away forever. Uh, you know, damn the facts, damn the evidence. Well, plus, we've already seen it. You know, we've seen the tape, the video. That's all we need to know about the case. And we've already basically rendered the verdict. We're just having a show trial now. And we can talk some more about the trial because I have some thoughts about that. But of course, it's utterly disgraceful. Uh, she should be at a minimum censored, she should be stripped of her chairmanship or whatever ridiculous committee that she chairs. And will she be? No, of course not, because this is a double standard. She's an African American Democrat. She can say whatever she wants, including fomenting violence. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't comment on what she said at the, the committee meeting last week when Jim Jordan was grilling Anthony Arbetter Fauci. Uh, basically, she she told him to shut up. She told another member of Congress to shut up on TV from the from the stage. Uh, this is she. The Democrats came out today and said they were not going to censor her or censure her. Sorry. Uh, so of course they're not. I, I know it's a shock to you. They agree, they agree with her. They think it's perfectly fine. So what you, you pointed out earlier, our betters, and I use that in quotes because I don't believe it for a second, uh, the hypocrites who called what Donald Trump said impeachable won't even censure Maxine Waters for effectively calling for violence because that's what she did. Donald Trump did not advocate violence, whether or not he responded correctly and whether he should have been at the event in the first place is another discussion. He didn't lead the violence. She's in the streets of Minneapolis, which has been burning for weeks, uh, burning for months last summer and was ready to erupt again. And you heard people chanting in the background. That wasn't, she wasn't at a pep rally. So her, her outside of her district going somewhere where she's not a representative there. She's just a woman who's trying to incite violence, which we were told, as you said, in January, that's impeachable. 
I was told that is an impeachable offense. If it's impeachable for the president, it's impeachable for a member of Congress. Impeachable is impeachable. So I, I fail to grasp how this woman should be in, in power. You're right. She, she doesn't understand. There was no first-degree murder charge, and I don't know how there could have been unless the laws in Minnesota are much different than literally everywhere else. So you should know that when you're walking in. But it, again, it, it shows, and I don't use this in a bad way, well, kind of a bad way, the ignorance of some of our members of Congress to what laws actually are. Oh, uh, but that's, a, that's, the, perfect, that's the perfect it. term. She has no idea what she's talking about. And this is her MO. She never has any idea what she's talking about. And she can spout whatever toxic, hateful rhetoric she wants with no consequences because she and any other Democrat who says these sorts of things will never be held to account. And that's just the state of affairs that we're currently in. And that's one of the reasons people that people love to talk about how the country is divided and it is divided. And one of the main reasons it's divided is because regular citizens look around and see the glaring double standards for behavior, for language, uh, where somebody who they may agree with, who's on their political side of the aisle, couldn't possibly, they've seen their president be Mm -hmm. impeached for saying these sorts of things. And then they look the other way and they see, huh, Nobody, all the same people who were righteously indignant and outraged, deafening silence, don't care. So that is one of the reasons that we have such a toxic political culture is because there are two standards for behavior and and people see this. And they also see that there's essentially two legal standards in the country, one for Republicans and one for Democrats when it relates to this type of thing. That that in it. To, to me, that is the silence is deafening from the other side about her comments. You saw this on Ben Shapiro. You saw it on Fox News. You didn't hear it anywhere else. And I think that's the that's the rub for me. Uh, I was told that the, the society was breaking down on January 6th. But apparently it's OK on April 19th or whatever. April well, it's, it was OK for a year. Yeah. It was okay for a year across hundreds of cities and billions in damage and dozens dead. Yeah. Let me repeat, dozens dead. Um, there was nobody. Oh, and we should talk about this. So we've, we've talked about uh, the, the alleged trademarked insurrection. <laughs> uh, have you seen, of course, now, three months later, that the medical examiner has released uh, the autopsy on uh, the police officer, I think his name is Sicknick, Yep. who died. And if you remember, um, this was spread far and wide. Uh, in fact, I think was even referenced in the articles of impeachment and was parroted by Joe Jim Eagle Biden that Officer Sicknick, the media immediately claimed, had been bludgeoned to death, had been hit in the head repeatedly by the mob with a fire extinguisher. And that lie mm-hmm. made its way around the world about 18 different times. And Chad, I hope I'm not spoiling this, but why don't you tell the people who are listening whether that was actually even remotely true? Uh, no, and, and I think the, the second report was he was bear, had bear spray, you know, bear repellent sprayed right. on him, which was something. He had, a, he had two strokes, I believe it was, and died from yes. that. Now, you can say maybe the... His blood pressure skyrocketed by being in in the middle of that. Yeah, but whatever. See, no, you can't actually because there's there is also contemporaneous evidence that he went home that evening 
was in good spirits and then the next day had the stroke. So you're going to have to posit some scenario where um, I don't know what was going on with his blood pressure that evening, but maybe it was a delayed trauma, right? No, it was it was a flat out lie from the beginning. It was never, by the way, and what was the source for this information? Oh, that's right. Unnamed sources said Uh this. The New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, all of the media ran with it, repeated it endlessly. It was used to justify impeachment. It was also used to impugn the people that were at the riot. They should be impugned for doing what they did. But no, no, it had to be worse because they needed a murder, right? They needed violence. And so they just made it up. They literally just made it up. Well, here's the thing. They knew what happened before the impeachment occurred. They knew what happened to this, this officer and yet kept it quiet. See, this is the MO I see very often. Uh, They inflate the, the main, the media and our betters inflame everybody with their rhetoric, they emotionally get everybody charged up. And then when it comes out that they're wrong, well, as CNN said about this story, well, it's the best information we had at the time. What information? Right. There isn't any information. Legend with a fire extinguisher looks a whole lot different than he went home to his family that night and died the next day from a stroke. That those are not the same thing. I don't know what information, but you're very quick to put that information out. You know, that's again. So that shows you the utter uh, just complete absence of any attempt at journalistic standards because, oh, it's the best information at the time. It's equivalent to going like Googling some random discussion thread, reading through a couple of comments and and seeing, hey, somebody somebody on that thread says that he was hit with a let's run with that. That's because because you know what? It's the best information we have right now by, uh, you know, Dr. Xerxes on the Dem Underground thread has claimed this is going on. And you know what? He's, he's probably pretty reputable. Whatever. We need to get it out there. This, this has been uh, noted repeatedly now. And I think Molly Hemingway wrote a really good article at The Federalist about this, which is essentially we need to stop treating the media as anything relating to journalism or a search for truth or reporters. They are pure and simple propagandists. That's all they are, with some very minimal and honorable exceptions. But w- the the group that we refer to as the mainstream media, they 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 have a new model. Their model has nothing to do with facts. It has nothing to do with attempting to be neutral or find the truth and present it to an audience. It's they are they need clicks. They need subscribers. They know their customer base, which is for the New York Times and CNN, you know, rabidly left wing. And so they're simply providing them what they want. And they literally do not care if it is completely false or unvetted or unverified. And here's the thing. It used to be that they would even attempt to make some sort of mealy mouthed retraction, you know, three days later on page 14. They don't even care anymore because for them. The truth doesn't matter. The utility of it is we get it into the news cycle and we defeat, we use it to destroy and defeat the people that we all agree we don't like or who should not have power or who should be doxxed or defeated. And that's, that's their goal. They are, they are crusaders and partisans and they are not, they don't resemble anything related to journalism and haven't for a long time. Uh, I will disagree with you slightly in that. I don't think they've ever, been truth tellers. I, I give you. Well, 
Yeah. No, but here's the thing. Here's the like distinction. The yeah. Here's the distinction. Of course, they've always been biased. All right. The media going back all the way to Cronkite. Everyone, you know, Walter Cronkite. Well, Walter Cronkite was a liberal too. But here's the difference. Walter Cronkite is not a guy who would have intentionally hidden facts. He's not a guy. Now, he might, he might give you his slant on those facts, right? And we know that about Vietnam, right? We can talk about that. But the right. point is the media, there is a difference between bias, which everyone knows exists and exists on both sides, mm-hmm. and overt disinformation, blatant, literally suppression of information and just glaring and eager propaganda, meaning you're not even attempting to present facts to people. You are constantly 24-7 spinning a narrative. That's all it is. It's not even news. It's your version, your ideological worldview spewed forth 24-7 in an effort to destroy your political enemies and to influence those who are your audience. We have never been in a place where the media has been this corrupt before. I don't disagree. I just want to go back to FDR. The media knew he was in a wheelchair and chose not to let the public know. They knew JFK was a womanizing man whore, and they chose not to tell the public to protect him as he went out and did his thing. And then they eulogized him as though he was the greatest thing that had ever lived. I, I, I just contend that the journalists, that they had different standards then, but they were lying to us then. They're still lying to us. They're just, they're not, they don't care that you know they're lying because they don't care what you think because you're not going to vote for them. You don't care what they think. The people who do want to hear this. That's all I'm saying. I I think it's been bad for a long time. I I think in the uh, election of 1800, didn't they say that uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson was uh, son of an illegitimate whore from West Indies or something like that? It was right. Okay. But here's the distinction there. So that's opinion. Right. So we've always had historically yeah. and, and you're right. You go back to the you go back to the founding era, the most vicious smears that would go on. But remember, that was the opinion side. What we have now is we have no news. It is yeah, constant right. opinion and it's not just opinion. It's further. It's misinformation, disinformation and gaslighting. That's all it is, because here's the thing. I don't even mind. Of course, people are entitled to their opinion. That's why we have uh, op-ed pages. But we've gone from, okay, now the news is actually opinion. And at least it was still opinion somehow tethered to certain facts. Now we don't even – now we – I do not trust a single thing. If you read me a New York Times story about any event, I don't, I don't believe any of it. And you may say, well, that's a, that's a horrible kind of worldview where you can't – where are you going to get your facts? Well, here's the thing. I have read enough and seen enough from them repeatedly. I could give you hundreds of examples where everything that they report is just flatly wrong. And it's intentionally wrong. And it's intentionally wrong because they want it to be because the only narrative they will accept is the one that promotes their causes, which is progressivism and the Democratic Party. And so, yes, I don't. I would not trust a single fact reported in a New York Times article or a Washington Post article until I independently verified that through another source, hopefully a primary source, meaning go to the actual document, right? If they're reporting on a piece of legislation, I want to go look at the legislation. 
I'm not going to trust anything that they say. And this is an incredibly corrosive, destructive thing that in our country now, you cannot go anywhere to rely on information being fed to you straight. In fact, did you see recently Bill Maher did a, did a piece on the distortion of medical information by the media? And I'll tell you what. Now, Maher is obviously a lefty. But I found that to be – he was his – that was the most directly uh, condemning of the media and of Democrats, of liberals that I have seen him. And I think even a guy like him who is uh, – again, he's kind of a lockstep progressive in many ways – is just fed up with the disinformation. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. So before we get to Minneapolis again, I want to talk – briefly about the uh shooting yesterday in columbus ohio have you seen the body cam footage i have not had a chance i was uh otherwise occupied all day so okay. no so the police department in columbus ohio uh released body cam footage of a, an officer involved shooting um so three police officers were called to the scene of a loud it looked like a loud party I mean, I don't, I don't know the context yet of what was going on. Um, one of the officers approached uh, as he's coming up the walkway. Two women are fighting and collect, one is pushed to the ground in front of him. Um, he pulls his gun and you're trying to figure out why they, they play it in real time. Then he played it in slow motion. And then the woman who's on top jumps up and she runs at another woman and pushes her up against a car and she gets shot by the policeman. So there was outrage, as you expect. It was a white officer, black woman. Uh, the black woman who was shot and killed had attempted to stab the lady on the ground and then gra- pulled her knife out, and she tried to stab another lady up against the car, so the cop shot her so that she wouldn't stab this other woman. And you don't see it so much in the real time, but when you see the slow motion, there's a man standing there next to a car the girl on the ground, he runs over after she's on the ground as the cop starts to turn towards the woman with the knife, and he kicks the woman in the head. He, he lays out and kicks her in the head. Then when the cop shoots the, the woman who was armed, it's very clear she has a knife in her hand. It's not like anything else you've seen elsewhere. And he screams, she was just a child with a knife in her hand going to stab somebody. LeBron James put this out, you know, on, he put a Twitter out, and he said, of Coming course he did. Next. Coming for you next. Puts this officer's picture up. That's who we're supposed to trust as a moral authority because LeBron James influences people. I just bring that up because you're going to hear more about this in the days ahead because it was a white officer, black woman. You haven't heard anything more about the black man who killed the Capitol Police officer a couple weeks ago. Nothing. Not a thing. I am disgusted right now with what happened in Minneapolis. And I, and I want to talk about it. And, and from your, from a legal standpoint, you can correct me where I'm wrong and where we think I need to think closer. I watched way too much of that trial. <laughs> I would admit that I watched because I was interested in what's going to happen. And you, you alluded to it earlier in the podcast. Basically it was a show trial and you heard Maxine Waters, guilty, guilty, guilty. He has to be guilty or we're going to, we're effectively going to riot if he's not found guilty. Now you can say this is the Rodney King. You can say this is something else. 
But I do not know how our justice system can sit there with the, the judge saying, that might be grounds for a, a, an appeal. No, that's a mistrial, sir. This happened in Minneapolis by an elected official of the United States who incited violence in your city about the case that you're hearing, and it might be okay for an appeal. Maybe. So Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three counts. The third degree should never have come back in, in my opinion, based on. Well, that's still going to be an appellate issue. It should be, but it, it should not have been. Brought. And by the way, no appellate court is going to touch this. The, no. th- this will never, this will never be reversed. Uh, no. This is it. He, it's done. He's done. Now, I don't think Derek Chauvin acted appropriately at the time when this all happened, but he used an approved hold by the Minneapolis Police Department. Approved. Okay. There's video showing him not leaning on the neck of George Floyd. George Floyd asked, he says he can't breathe when he's sitting in the back of the police car. Well, he said he couldn't breathe seven times before he was on the ground. Seven, seven times. times. He wanted to get out of the car. He asked to be let out of the car. Now that doesn't excuse somebody. If you maliciously mistreat them, I don't think Derek Chauvin was trying to commit a felony by restraining him. I think the other three cops are probably also going to get jail time because this was the test. If they got Chauvin, they'll get the other three because they were complicit. But I, I am, I am disgusted with how our legal system worked. I don't think the jury, I don't think, I think they came in biased to I heard later two of the jurors were removed because they were found to be biased going in. They were taken off the jury because they were biased. I think all 12 jurors well, were by. I think what you're I think what you're referring to is there were they actually had to revoir the jury. So let, let's back up because you've alluded to certain things. The thing that should be most troubling to any American who paid any attention to this trial is not even necessarily the verdict. And we can talk about you know the evidence that was presented we have before and also kind of the mm-hmm. performance of the lawyers, but I want you here's what I want people to think about. Let's change the circumstances and instead of a white cop, the defendant in this case is an African American and he is being charged with the same kind of caught on video sort of allegedly you know, brutal killing of a white person. Okay? Mm-hmm. And 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 a a white person that has now been lionized nationally. Uh there's a huge huge uprising in, in, you know, of anger and outrage at this brutal slaying nine minutes, uh, the white man claiming he couldn't breathe, etc. And in the run up to the trial, you have national figures claiming if there's not a guilty verdict, there's going to be rioting. And then during the trial itself, the courthouse The courthouse has to be ringed with temporary fencing, with razor wire. There have to be armed guards everywhere. The jury that's impaneled, every single one of them, because the one thing I did pay attention to is I watched the daily reports about the voir dire, the jury selection. Mm -hmm. Every single person on the jury, with the exception of, or I shouldn't say on the jury, on the panel that the jury was selected from said, we know about this case. We have very, very negative impressions about this black defendant. Okay. Yeah. You then have the prosecution 
with what five or six hired gun pro bono lawyers from out of state all over the country who have offered their services to prosecute this black man. Okay. And then, and then you have him there with a single harried overworked lawyer that's been appointed by whatever, you know, that he's found up against the machinery of the state trying to crush this guy. And then in the trial, during the trial, the city where the trial is announces that they have settled a civil lawsuit with the family of the slain white man for $27 million. And that has been publicized to the jury. And the judge has to revoir the jury. And that's what you were alluding to, where two of them were then further removed because they had heard about this. Mm-hmm. And so we have this entire atmosphere. And then, let's see, who, who would I say? Um, Tucker Carlson comes in from out of town and holds a rally within blocks of the courthouse claiming that if this black man is not convicted, there's going to be unrest and we need to, we need to fight. We need to stay in the streets. We need to be confrontational to ensure that this defendant is convicted of murder. And I'm not even sure whether it's first degree, but it needs to be first degree. Can you imagine the reaction of America and the media, if that scenario played out in that fashion with a defendant who instead of an evil white cop was an African-American, it wouldn't have been tolerated. The howls of outrage would have, would have lifted beyond the heavens into the outer universe, right? But yeah. now it's totally okay. We don't care because we demanded – on, on, let's be honest, because of the race of these people, that this guy has to go down. Now, that should frighten and disgust that scenario. Any person, I don't care about your political persuasion. I don't care if you don't like Derek Chauvin. I don't know anything about Derek Chauvin. I have no brief for Derek Chauvin. But the way that that spectacle played out, that is third world mob justice Mm -hmm. and the more of that that we have in this country the the closer that we are to hurtling into the abyss so i would ask you knowing what just happened to Derek chauvin knowing about what's going to happen with the dante washington officer dante Wright or dante Wright, sorry uh dante robinson uh the, the the shooting yesterday in columbus uh brianna taylor issue in Louisville. Is there any reason somebody wants to become a police officer? No, there isn't. And so that's a, that's a perfect point. Plus of course the cops need to be defunded. Right. And so the interesting thing is what is going to result is these Democrat controlled cities where they don't want police apparently until they need them. Sure. You were either going to have uh, well, there's going to be a mass exodus. There already is. You've already seen and, and these statistics are everywhere. Of course, the media won't report them. Skyrocketing rates of violence in these cities. Again, all Democrat-controlled cities where presumably for 40 years, 50 years, right? We know the list. Where presumably there shouldn't be any injustice because these people, these woke progressives, have been running things for literally a half a century. And so what, what is the result of this? More minorities, more African-Americans being 
essentially lambs to the slaughter as the predators in their own communities, the gangbangers and the drug dealers and the criminal element have free reign because number one, the cops are what cop who even is staying on the beat is going to risk their neck in some kind of incident in the area of the city that they know there's likely going to be violence. Um, you know, we're running into a situation where might have to use my weapon. Why would you do that? I would. Why would you? First of all, why would you do that job? And number two, if you're still doing that job, you know what? When that call comes on the radio, we're not we're not in the area. And so they are ensuring and we know this because we can track the homicide statistics in places like Baltimore and New York and Chicago and Atlanta and Oakland and St. Louis and go on and on and on in Philadelphia that they are going through the roof. And these people. Right. These demagogues at the national level like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, who somehow bizarrely thanked George Floyd oh, for dying. That. Let me because let me play that clip, I, I, I guess, for the cause. Incredible. Let me play that clip of her. And thank God the jury validated what we saw, what we saw. So, again, Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. And now we have to make sure justice prevails in the sentencing, but that's, you know, that's its own procedure. Justice prevails in the sentencing. Well, what does that mean, Nancy? I would say, well, it's either guillotine or drawn and quartered. That would be justice in the sentencing. So I'm going to be as polite as I can to Madam Speaker. You're an idiot. <laughs> that, that probably is the most charitable thing you could say. I mean, just think about George Floyd's family. Thank you for your sacrifice. Did he... Uh, did he intend to martyr himself? I don't think so. Did he martyr uh, himself? I don't know. Well, th- but the, the, I mean, okay. Whether you believe that Derek Chauvin is responsible or like I do, that there is, there's a multitude of factors here that call into question actually how he died. Nancy Pelosi is thanking a man who tragically expired and he didn't want to be dead. Right. He wasn't asking to die. I think he was asking to live. Yeah. Thank you for dying in support of the movement. What? Well, that see what she said there to me is exactly what she and her ilk think that you you serve a purpose. Yes. Our agenda. You can now be the George Floyd law that we can parade around to get more votes and more donations. We don't care about George Floyd. She prior to that clip, she, she named all the family members. She was, wandering aimlessly through she sounded like joe biden talking she didn't care about george floyd his family no No, you know what it is it's it's thank you for being one of the cracked eggs that we needed to make our omelet we're so our socialist beautiful utopian omelet you played an important role George, I forget your last name. It doesn't matter because you yeah. don't matter to me. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it's ghoulish. Yes. And it is amoral 
and it is cynical and it's disgusting. And yet this is exactly how all of them in terms of the leadership, the people on the ramparts shouting about this stuff in that way, right? The cause we need to raise consciousness. That's the way Maxine Waters thinks about these things. That's the way Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff and all of the usual suspects. It's you did something important so that we can have more political power. Yes. It's about us. It's not about you. Even though you think it's about you, it's not about you. You talk about the trial any way you want. I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if Derek Chauvin acted completely above board. I would say if he used a hole that was approved by the Minneapolis police department, he was 140 pounds. And I believe George Floyd was much more, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the fentanyl in George Floyd's system alone should have killed him. And yeah. may have, if Derek Chauvin hadn't been kneeling on him. I don't Again, know. Again, I, so I have a couple random observations and sure. I would never. Okay. So this Nelson guy, let, let me put it this way. I don't think Atticus Finch could have won this trial for Derek Chauvin. Okay. I, I don't really think there's an attorney in the country, no matter how gifted, that was going to overcome those circumstances in that jury. That said, I, I do have some questions about how Nelson chose to handle the case. I didn't think his opening was very good. It was very uh, – and I know his his whole demeanor is one of he's restrained. He's very – uh, soft-spoken, and he can be very effective. He he did a very good job in some of his cross-examinations, but I think he made a huge error where he off the bat in his opening, and so this is setting the themes for the case, basically started talking about, you know, reasonable doubt. And and so, okay, yes, that is the, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is the standard in a criminal case, which is a very high bar, but you can't meet Watch the video, right? The nine minutes, this visceral appeal to emotion and look at what we're watching with let's talk about reasonable doubt. What he needed to do is come out guns blazing and say they cannot establish that this killed this man because he died from a drug overdose. Okay. And so even throughout the case, like one of the things that he didn't do, and and so this may be too inside baseball for people, but the prosecution presented expert witnesses to talk about why he died. And one of the things that their expert witnesses tried to get away with is to say, well, listen, because they knew they had to address the fentanyl. So ironically, the prosecution are the ones that brought up the fact that George Floyd was a habitual drug user. They had to. Why? Because they needed to make the argument that the fact that he took so many drugs in, in a way almost immunized him from the effects of having so much fentanyl in his system. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner admitted it was nearly four times what would be considered a lethal dose. So what the prosecution did is, okay, we got to deal with that. How do we deal with it? You know what? He used, to, he used this stuff so often, it doesn't impact him. Now, Nelson chose not to put on his own expert witness to say, essentially, that is purest nonsense. And I've read there are studies out there that talk about even with even among chronic drug abusers that, uh, you know, a level that was well beneath what Floyd had would have been fatal. I think it was a huge mistake not to attack that and try to shoot that down and say they are grasping at straws to explain away the reason this guy died. The other thing is, in his closing, he basically said something along the lines of, look, there could have been a number of factors here. 
And like, no, no, no. Cause here's the deal on the manslaughter charge. That's not what you need to establish as the defense because the prosecution, if they can demonstrate that your action is, I don't know the exact wording cause it's not in front of me, but basically if your action in kneeling on that guy was a reason that led to his death, you're going to get convicted. So Nelson can't, it doesn't help him to say, well, there's a lot of different things going on. He has to say, no, what killed him is the drugs. And we know that because the autopsy does not show any asphyxiation, nor was there trauma to the neck. And we also know that because this, the city's own medical examiner admitted this is essentially an overdose, right? You've got to hammer that as if that is the only thing that could have explained how he died. And I think failing to do that, you know, really was a gift to the prosecution. But again, all of this to say in that environment, I don't care how gifted you're not going to win representing uh, Derek Chauvin. You're not. So I saw last night and there's lots of people out there saying this is a small step for racial justice. Okay. Wait a minute. Stop right there. What about this case was racial? Other than the fact that, again, it was a white police officer and an African-American. Because if that's the standard, then every – and that is the standard, right? That is the standard. All we need to know is white cop, minority victim, it's a race-based incident. And that's that's basically all you heard. And and if you didn't come out in support of – Chauvin's conviction, then you were called out for not having supported. It's basically a, a shakedown to me. It's what it sounds like a public shakedown. You didn't support. So therefore you don't. Right. Well, implicit, implicit in that argument about it's for racial justice is the claim that this would not have happened to a white person. And that is a flat out lie. And in fact, one of the best people to read on this issue who has been doing yeoman's work, trying to dispel some of this is John McWhorter. We've talked about him before. He's an African American. He's a brilliant man. He's a linguist. He teaches at Columbia. He is a liberal. He hates Donald Trump, but he is honest about what is going on in this country in terms of the anti-racist forces. And he just wrote an article on his Substack account where he made the, the argument again, pointing out facts. The media simply will not report any incident involving the death of a white suspect. And and so people just don't know. It's like, it doesn't exist. And so you can go down the litany and there is the one case, which is literally identical to George Floyd, except it's even worse, which happened to a man named Tony Timpa. And I encourage everyone to Google that name and read about it. He was a white man. And I think he was suffering from, he had some sort of, um, I I don't know if he was on the spectrum, but he actually called the police himself because he was in some sort of distress and they kneeled on him for over nine minutes. And you can hear them on the audio making jokes, laughing as this guy died. Now, I'm not even going to get into what really happened. Are they at fault? The point is, has anyone heard of this guy short of people who care about this? No. And so this whole thing about racial justice, well, the only reason that that is something they claim is because they never report on the same incidents that occur every day to white victims all the time. And we've talked about this as well. The database 
for unarmed people who are killed by police. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean it's unjustified. The Washington Post, again, not Fox News, the Washington Post has a database based on all the FBI and DOJ statistics. There are far more white people killed in that fashion. Again, I think over the last five years, the numbers are close to 250 white people to 120 African-Americans. You would think if you ask the average man on the street, that every third day there's a death squad going out to kill an African-American. And that is one of the most poisonous and divisive lies of the last 10 years in this country. You want to know why there is such racial division and animus is because the media keeps telling people that white cops are hunting black people to the point where they believe this. They believe it's an epidemic. They believe it's systemic. And factually, I can't say this vociferously enough. It is a bald faced lie. That doesn't mean that there aren't tragic incidents. It doesn't mean there aren't racist cops. It doesn't mean that African-Americans have been killed in horrific circumstances. What it does mean is that anyone who tells you that this is an epidemic based on the statistics is either completely ignorant or actively lying to you. Those are the only two options. I agree. I agree. Uh, Let me change topics a bit. And this one is a little closer to home for me uh, in my community. And I want to get your take. And I truly, I don't know the answer to this. I don't have an answer. I just want to discuss it with you. Um, you had mentioned a meeting you were going to the other night uh, around critical race theory. Well, this isn't critical race theory, but it's close enough for my liking. So there is a a child at a local school uh, who this year, this school year, decided that even though he is a boy, he wants to wear dresses and dye his hair and wants to have all the accoutrement of being a female. How old? 12. Okay. Uh, So this 12-year-old boy is now gone through the process with the school district to get permission. I, I use that in air quotes. Permission to use the girls' bathroom and use the girls' locker room for gym class. Now, they aren't changing in the locker rooms, but they are in the locker rooms together. Um, so there's been some uproar from different parental groups spoken with the administration. They, they claim that their legal consultations have yielded that they have to allow this. They have to allow this. And no, question- they don't. Well, the question has come up, does a parent have to request it? No, the student can request it at any age as to whether or not they want that to happen. The claim is it's a Title IX issue, which seems odd to me, uh, and they're allowing it. And they'll make a, they made accommodations for this boy to use a single-use bathroom for to go to the bathroom and to change for gym class if that was required. This boy wants to go into the girls' locker room. He wants to use the girls' bathroom, even though other accommodations were made. So he he has an accommodation. It's not like there's no other place for him to go. So what this has led to is parents threatening to pull their kids out of the school, students feeling uncomfortable, you know, as you might imagine expect. Imagine that. Imagine that. So the question was pre- presented to the administration. So what you're saying is, you're making an accommodation for this one student and 
making all the rest of the students that have to interact in the restroom and in the locker room uncomfortable so that this one student can be comfortable even though he's a boy. So this came up at a conversation uh, with a small group I was in uh, over the weekend and none of us had an answer and I, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know where the legality lies, but it seems like we've, we've twisted way, way, way past uh, normalcy and sense into this craziness where a child and it is a child by all legal definition. This is a child making this decision to inconvenience and effectively, I don't want to say threaten, but, but make feel uncomfortable. Uh, somebody said, you know, if, as a man, if I went to the women's locker room, I would be arrested. But the boy goes in the locker room because he met with the administration. It's okay. And well, the, by the way, what's going to happen? So he's 12 right now. What's going to happen when he's in high school and he is going to be in a locker room where they're going to shower? So what they said was the student when if they need to change for gym class, they will come in early and they will come in to change and they will be there after everybody else has left to accommodate that. Wait, uh, what? They'll, they'll let the, they'll let the student come in 10 minutes before gym class starts so they can change. And then they'll come in after everybody else has left the locker room and they will shower if necessary. And okay. Change. So, so this is perfect. So on the one hand, their entire justification is that essentially we have to treat him as a girl mm-hmm. and yet they won't take the step. By the way, if I'm the parents who, who presumably support this, I'm going to say to the school, hold on. If he's a girl, he's a girl. You can't now stigmatize him and isolate him by when it comes to, to showering, right? We're not going to do it. So they're actually giving the lie to what's going on here, which is if you really believed that he was a girl, you would allow him to shower with the other girls but we know he's not a girl so we're going to play pretend up to the point where they know it's going to cause a riot and then we're going to essentially force him to be by himself right so the the internal consistency of their position falls apart completely when it's pushed to the point where it's the rubber meets the road okay so because they don't really believe it that demonstrates they don't actually believe that he should be treated like a girl and that he's actually a girl and that this is not an issue because they won't, they have now somehow, uh, you know, generated this bizarre, well, you go in first and then everyone else leaves. And how's that going to make him feel? I would Does think that I- make him, isn't that discriminatory? They're forcing him, her, him to change by himself. Why can't he change with all the other actual girls? That question is going to be asked probably by a lawyer representing his family. So the district, all they've done here is actually created not only a huge problem with the parents that rightfully have an issue with this to begin with, they're going to find themselves in the jaws of an even bigger dilemma when they try to hold the line on this and find, oh, that's actually discrimination, which is even worse. Yeah. So what we're, I'm looking at it from an, from a Christian perspective and I'm looking at it from a secular perspective uh, and I'm trying to reconcile where we find ourselves because I believe, I don't know this kid at all. It's all secondhand for me. I don't know this kid, 
but I believe this kid is from the stories I've been told, he's desperately trying to connect with people. And I think he's been fed a load of BS from at least one of his parents that thinks it's okay to act like an ornate building or a, you know, a flightless dragon can, what, whatever we talked about with the Google people. I, I believe that this may be, you know, everybody, when you're that age, I think you're trying to separate yourself and try to seem cool. And maybe this was his version of that. Maybe he truly believes he's a girl. He didn't apparently last year. And I don't know what he'll feel like next year, but apparently right now he feels like a girl and he, he doesn't seem to be well liked by the student body. He doesn't seem to have friends in the student body. And I, I, I feel for him from that perspective because I, he's sure. a kid. I think he screwed up maybe on his own, maybe through adult influence, but I do feel compassion for what he, what's mixed up with him. You know, yeah, I you should. And I, I, I'm trying to explain this because some of the people I was talking to were extremely angry and, and I understand their perspective. If, if your child's involved in that, I understand how you feel because I don't want that for my child. But I do think there's something messed up. And I feel like, uh, obviously, we're praying about this because I feel like there, this is a God issue. I can't fix it. I can't change it. He has to work in the hearts of many individuals here. But it, it, it puts it, the rubber meets the road when we're having this discussion because I'm trying to teach my daughter how to behave and how to act and how to, how to treat people even people she doesn't agree with on other issues. How do you deal with a, a child that's this messed up? I didn't have to deal with this as a kid. Yeah. I'd have been transgender kids when I was growing up. I didn't know any. So I, I, I don't know what that they were going through. I don't know what they were feeling like. I, this is going to be more and more as we go along. I think they're going to see more of this pushed in our faces. And to your point with the legal side of things, I feel like the school district is kicking the can down the road and they're waiting for a bigger blow up because it's going to happen. Whether it's this kid or some other kid, you've set a precedent now. Well, it's going to come again. It's going to come from the other direction. Yes. Um, I, I mean, just a few comments. I agree with everything you said. I mean, these, these are incredibly heartrending situations. I can't imagine being a parent uh, with a child that is, was dealing with something like this. Th- of course, this person, this child deserves compassion. Um, you know, I'm sure they are suffering from a level of ostracism and dislike. Kids can be cruel. Mm-hmm. This is this is obviously an unusual thing for most kids. So you have to kind of go out of your way, hopefully, to protect him as best you can from any kind of, you know, taunting or abuse. And th- that's that's difficult. So he should be, you know, and again, I He's in a phase, like you said, who knows whether he really thinks that he's a girl, whether he's just very, very confused. But here's the point. Ultimately, all those things can be true. You can love him. You can have compassion for him. Uh, he should be treated with respect. The school's going to have to monitor and hopefully prevent anyone from mistreating him, both not only in the physical environment, but online, right? Because that's where all these kids interact. Mm-hmm. That's tough to navigate. But at the end of the day, he is not a girl. Yeah. He is a boy. And mm-hmm. this this is the you want to talk about from a Christian perspective, but it's also honestly um it's a scientific perspective. Sex is set 
in his biological reality. That doesn't mean that he can't think he's a girl. It doesn't mean he can't dress like a girl. He will never be a girl. And so to craft a policy which pretends and denies biological reality that he's actually a girl is is beyond folly. And so my perspective, both as a Christian and even from someone, let's say if you're not a Christian, who at least is willing to accept biological reality is these people – even if a child are entitled uh, to to consider themselves however they wish, whatever their gender, right? The multiplicity of genders, but you don't get to literally flip the laws of reality on its head and not only make these kind of claims. Which fine, if you want to make, you can, you can claim that you're, uh, you know, a centaur, uh, but to compel through force of law and coerce other people into basically agreeing that that's right. You've now become a girl. No, you haven't. You haven't. I'm sorry. Um, that doesn't look, we've talked about this before. You're not going to be rude to this person. And if they want to be called what, I don't know what his name is. Uh, but okay, fine. You, you do what they would like when you address them. Why would you go out of your way to be mean spirited? But if you're going to force me to say, you need to accept the fact that this person is now a girl. I'm not going to say that because they're not. Right. And so the, 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 the sort of through the looking glass moment we're having here, and this is interesting. So I don't know if you're aware of this. I think we talked about this. There's J.K. Rowling, who is the obviously the billionaire author of Harry Potter, and she is a card-carrying progressive. She's a very outspoken feminist. Well, she has come under increasing attack by the so-called trans community. And what it really means is these, these, the, the leadership, these vocal uh, agitators who are the ones that purport to speak on behalf of the trans community. And so they uh, have now attacked her. Fortunately for her, she's got a billion dollars. What are <laughs> they going to do? But because she had the temerity and continues to have the temerity and the courage to say, listen, I am a vocal supporter of women's rights, but there is such a thing as biological sex and trans people are not like trans men are not women. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they don't deserve respect. That doesn't mean that compassion and help and whatever social services, because the reason she got involved is she had concerns, rightfully so, that the whole women's athletics deal where now you've got men mm -hmm. who think they're women winning track meets and weightlifting competitions and soon everything else under the sun if the Biden administration has its way. And she is pointing out that that is unfair. As a feminist, that is completely destroying the gains that women have had, women, biological women who are now being forced to compete against men. She thinks that's wrong. She's correct. She's mm -hmm. now been called a transphobe for staking out a position that less than 24 hours ago, if you denied it, people would look at you like you're nuts. And yet somehow this is now literally the dogma that everyone must accept who lives in the ministry of truth. So I, I, don't, you know, I don't know how that's going to play out in your district. I think the school district is uh, playing a very short-sighted game here by trying to appease this child and probably more likely his parents. And what they don't realize is they've now opened a Pandora's box and this is only going to get worse as the child gets older and more demands are made predicated upon the fact that they've set a precedent that he is actually a girl. It, 
when you bring up the fact that it's affected, see, here's the, here's the, the lie that you're told over and over again. Um, homosexual marriage. It's, it's simply, uh, it's just, we just want to be happy. We love each other. Transgender. We, we just want to live our true selves. Um, now they can, I, it, yeah, you can except when I have to agree with you or I but have that's to the ag- point. They don't I really have- want to just live their true selves. They well, want to force you, yep. force you to assent to their warped reality about, you know, not just, I, I'm willing to accept you. I'm willing to love you. Right. As, as a, a brother or sister in Christ, but I'm simply not going to stand here and agree to something that I know is false uh, because the, our elect, as McWhorter would call them, have demanded that we dispense with the uh, you know, reality and allow essentially the perversion of language to dictate what we're going to say and believe. And uh, this is this is going to be the the battlefront, I think, going forward in this in this culture, uh, in the sense that you are going to be increasingly asked to say things that you know are untrue to avoid being ostracized, mm-hmm. punished by the government. And um, there could become some some very trying and difficult times for people that are not willing to go along with the uh, prevailing doctrine right now. Yeah. So I was reading an article about dead naming. So this one person had written an article and said, I should not be dead named every time I pull out my government ID. I've changed. I am living as a different gender and the name on my ID doesn't represent me. And I get reminded every time I have to pull it out that that's not who I am anymore. Two things there. One, change your name. Then you have that option. You can pay to change your name. That's possibility. And two, I have lived every single day of my life with official documents that do not reflect my name, my entire life. And you know what? I'm still here. Somehow I survived. I just say, either change your name or get over it. I'm tired of hearing about that issue. I, I do not go by my official name, my legal name in any capacity, anywhere. Anybody who knows me does not call me by my official name. Well, apparently you should have been more outraged about this for a while. I was at my parents, but not. You don't know. You, you just haven't realized how harmed you've been by this. And I, I have not. It hasn't scarred me. It hasn't made me lesser i don't feel like oh no you're abusing me by using my official birth name oh no i i I guess that's where i'm like i turned to my wife when i read that i said i've never used my name i don't and i don't feel like i'm being oppressed it's it's my choice well you your point i I mean you put it you know it sounds what callous get over it but but this is the point which is we simply cannot cater mm-hmm. to the whims of an ever more hysterical minority over anything that they deem to be offensive or a slight or a quote-unquote harm. At some point, a culture has to say to make reasonable determinations that I'm sorry that you're upset, but what you are asking to be imposed on everyone else 
is just not acceptable. And yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with it. And if you really can't move forward in your life because this triviality okay, is something that you can't accept, then you need to seek help mm-hmm. you, because that's a problem. Every person in life is required in many ways to overcome things that are upsetting to them, mm-hmm. that have been setbacks, that make them angry. But, but in our uber therapeutic culture, the minute someone starts squawking about this particular thing also makes me feel very sad, then immediately, you know, the, the, the ministers of culture convene to say, we got to make sure that that thing is also eradicated. Oh, by the way, it doesn't matter that it completely infringes on the rights of millions of other people or that it's a facially ridiculous thing. We're not allowed to say that, right? We're not allowed to speak that kind of truth. The same way a parent would talk to a child who says, you know, somebody, somebody gave me a mean look on the playground and now I don't want to go to school for the rest of the week. And what I would hope a responsible parent would say is, well, you know what? I'm sorry they did that. That was a mean thing for them to do, but you're going to have to go to school because we need to learn that sometimes in life things happen that are not, that don't make us feel good, that are hard to deal with, but we're not going to just pretend that that means we're incapacitated and can't move forward, right? That's a very bad approach because it, it basically makes us curl into a fetal position, etc. So why we have adopted this view within our government that anyone who complains about anything is to be taken seriously is also one of the reasons we're in the condition that we are right now as a nation. Yeah, I would agree with that. I want to end with one thing and um, I want to get it out because I think it's important. Mike Tomlin. Is that, that it? Exactly Three year new contract. <sighs> Yes. Is that what it was? It was. It was oh, that. Oh, wow. So, Tony, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you, you've heard my feelings on Mike Tomlin. Uh, I think he's a horrible coach. I think he should have been fired a long time ago, and I think if he was white, he would have been. Uh, maybe not in Pittsburgh because they tend to hold on to coaches post-Chuck Knoll for quite some time. Chuck Knoll uh, stayed on well past his expire point. Um Bill Cowher probably didn't, but I think Mike Tomlin has, and they just re-upped him for another three years, to which when I read that last night, I screamed, I can't believe this is happening because I do not see what Mike Tomlin brings to the to the game that you couldn't get literally any – other people can – can. let me say this. You've, you've questioned me on this numerous times. And I will say he could go Tomlin phobe. You're a Tomlin phobe, Chad. He could go 16 and zero if he gets beaten the first round of the playoffs, who cares that he went 16 and zero? it doesn't matter. Yeah, but Here's the point. He's already won a super bowl. So he's not, he's not, um, what's his first name? Uh, Lewis in Cincinnati. What's I'm, I'm brain cramping. uh, Marvin Lewis. So uh, Marvin Lewis is a very well-respected guy. But mm-hmm. he has never, I believe this is true, he's never won a playoff game. If he has, he's won one. Not, not as a head coach. He not was, as a head coach of the Bengals. Correct. Uh, or anywhere else. Correct. Mike Tomlin has won multiple playoff games, and he's yeah. won a Super Bowl. So yeah. your example of saying, two. right, two. Your example of saying, well, if he goes 16-0 and 0 and loses in the first round, that's not good enough. But he has a track record now where he's gone 
whatever, 12 and four, won multiple playoff games, including two championships. So I actually really disagree with you when you say, well, if you've been a white coach, you've been gone based on what has he actually, has he ever even had a losing season? No, he's been eight and eight a number of times, but he's never had a losing season. How would that be possible that you're going to jettison this guy for who? I, that's the that's always the question. For who? I don't know for who. I'm not a player person. I mean, if you told me, guess what, Mike, got to call you in because Bill Belichick has decided he wants to coach the Steelers. Okay, you know what, Mike, pack your bags. Thanks for your service. Sayonara. But short of, okay, let, let's think of all the coaches. You tell me. Uh, other than Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, um, I'll give you uh, – you tell me any other coaches who you think are demonstrably superior to Mike Tomlin based on coaching acumen and their track record. So that's a you're setting up a false dichotomy right here because there's 29 other coaches in the NFL who may or may not have won a Super Bowl, but – there's other, there's hundreds of other coaches out there that I don't even know who may before Mike Tomlin came to Pittsburgh. Did anybody know who Mike Tomlin was outside of football circles? No, no, of course not. But, but here's the point you're making the argument that you can't believe he's been re-upped, which implies that there is a better option. Now, if you're going to tell me that, well, we don't know whether that person's actually a better option. How could you justify replacing a guy that's won two Super Bowls by claiming uh, the new Bowl. guy who we don't know about might turn into be a guy who's better. He's been to two. He's won one. Right. And the last one he was at was uh, 10, 11 seasons ago. So okay. it's, it's been recent. I, I, I give you Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls against the Patriots in the, in New York for the Giants, and he still left. He was yeah, still. Yeah, but how old was he? What's the, what's the age? He he went to he went back to Jacksonville and became their director of something. I, I, you know, and, uh, and I think Tom Coughlin left. I, I mean, I'm not a huge Giants guy, no. but I think he left after two relatively disastrous seasons where the team was what like four and twelve. Yeah, they had some bad seasons right before he left, and I don't disagree. And we're not talking about the same exact thing. I mean, if you were telling me that Mike Tomlin was coming off consecutive four and 12, five and 11, but he's never even had a season close to that. You're not wrong on any of that. What I'm saying is I believe, and I continue to state, he has underperformed based on the talent on the team. Last year, they went 11 and 0, and then they went 0 and 6. Effectively, that five in the regular season got into the playoffs and lost in the first round. He they collapsed down the down the stretch. Now you can say, well, they got eleven wins, okay, but it's a sixteen game season, and winning in the regular season is only to get you to the playoffs. It doesn't matter how many you win the regular season if you don't advance in the playoffs. He hasn't won a playoff game in years. It's been years. I, I, I I'm contending he. We know that the coaches have an expiration date. It's different for every coach and it's different for every situation. But Joe Paterno arguably had an expiration date years before his expiration date. He had some flashes and it's a different game in college. But you don't you don't stay there forever. It, 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 you lose the team, you lose the players, you lose the... Well, you do, you, do you have... Okay, so that's, that's another criteria. 
Do you have evidence that he's lost the team? I have evidence that the, uh, the penalties are up. I have issue with the lack of creativity using the last, last year. You could see, and, and, and we argued about this on the air here, they were 11 and 0, but to, to any, anybody watching, they were the weakest 11 0 you'd ever seen. They yeah, did but th- doesn't that undercut your entire claim that they collapsed? They didn't collapse. They were they were a phantasm. They were a paper tiger. And so the fact that they lost their last six games is not indicative of a collapse. It's an indicative of a move or a return to their level. So what I would say is you as the head coach, you are responsible for everything related to the team. Agreed. You well, depending on agreed with the caveat that if you're not the GM, you're not responsible for okay. procuring you're, talent. You're not picking the talent, but the talent you have, your, your obligation is to coach them. Your, your obligation is to scheme to get the best out of them. Yep, agreed. Maybe they did up to a point for the first 11 games, but the last Ben Roethlisberger may could not possibly have been the best option to win in those final six games. He looked like he couldn't get out of his own way. He was injured, whether or not anybody wanted to say that or not, he was injured and th- he, he was never under center. It was always shotgun. So there's no play action. There's no disguising the play. It's but that's because they couldn't run. Right? The biggest run. problem was they couldn't run the ball. And, and so Ben, well, I don't know that it's listen, you either have the ability in the talent department mm-hmm. to have someone to run the ball or you don't. Now, if you're going to say that it's the coach's fault that the team can't run the ball, I'm going to want to look at the film to say, well, were there holes for this guy to run the ball, but we actually just don't have somebody that can do it. Or does our offensive line stink at run blocking and we don't have a stud back. And so, I mean, for you to say that it's entirely the coach's fault, the team can't run the ball seems kind of incredible. I'm not saying that I'm not saying it's entirely the coach's fault. I'm saying ultimately the head coach is responsible for whatever occurs around the team short of picking the talent that they don't always get to do. They might have say in it, but they don't get the final decision. But you, you just like the quarterback position, you get the victory as the quarterback and you take the loss as the quarterback. They don't say, oh, the center lost this many games. The center played in this many games, but they didn't lose or win the game. The quarterback gets that right or wrong. That's what happens. The head coach is tasked with that. So either you haven't surrounded yourself with good coaching you haven't schemed correctly for the people you have, or you haven't spoken highly enough into the personnel decisions that get you the people you need. James Connor was an okay back. He was not great. And their backups were not good. Did they make holes? Maybe I contend the fact that that Ben Roethlisberger was in shotgun 95% of the snaps was the reason they couldn't run because there was nothing to disguise it. It was always going to be deep handoffs, or pass. It was never going to be disguised at the line of scrimmage that the defense could key on what they knew was coming. That's my contention. That's a, that's a scheming issue. It's not an execution issue. The players still have to execute. The players still have to do their job. You can give them all the right coaching, but if they don't do it, they're ultimately not going to be successful, but you get rid of coaches first before you get rid of players. Usually. So, yeah, I mean, I guess my, my argument is that based on his resume, and the fact that he's never had a losing season, 
again, I don't really follow the Steelers closely. Sure. I, I get the sense that Tomlin is actually a very well-respected guy. And I will say this, and you got, you and I have talked about this. I think if there's any criticism to be leveled at Tomlin is at the time that Le'Veon Bell and then good old Antonio Brown were basically acting like team poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he allowed that to spiral in a way by basically coddling Antonio Brown that I think was very detrimental. Now it sounds like he's, you know, Brown's gone. Le'Veon Bell's gone. Mm-hmm. Those two cancers, which they had become are no longer in the locker room. I actually think that's the main thing to criticize about Tomlin is he was too, way too nice. I mean, he should have basically, you know, said to Antonio Brown, particularly after the incident where Brown, you know, filmed on his phone, the locker room, it would have been, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're out of the locker room. I think that was near the end of the year anyway. Right. I I can't remember what game that was. They beat the Bengals in that weird game. And then, uh, they were playing the chiefs. Let's put it this way. That would never have happened on the Patriots. Okay, Antonio Brown, that would have never occurred. And so there's certain things I think you can criticize Tomlin for. But again, my ultimate litmus test is who are you going to bring in that's going to be better than this guy? I don't think there is anybody. And so if you're surveying the landscape with whatever criticisms that can be leveled at him for the lack of offensive creativity, et cetera, the end of the year swan dive. Um, at the end of the day, if the locker room respects him, he still won 11 games. He's never had a losing season. He's gotten you to two Super Bowls. Yes, not recently, but you know what? There's a lot of guys that haven't gone to a Super Bowl recently. I, I think it is a, it is a, completely justifiable decision. I just don't understand why you're like, just like, I can't believe this. I, I can't believe it. And, and I'll, I'll push back a little on the Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. I think he did lose. He, he let things go longer than they should. I think some of that came from the top. I think. Oh yeah. You may be right. And I don't, I'm not going to completely blame Tomlin on that because I think, yes, he, he was hamstrung, I think, probably by the Roonies um, because they they tend to have that mentality around it. But I mark my words, Chase Claypool is going to be the same situation. It's ha- it's going to happen. He's a very talented receiver, but we're heading we're heading to Divaville. Yeah, uh, we're not far from Divaville, and he was a rookie. Um, and I think Juju Smith Schuster has the same mentality there see i actually everything i've read about juju is that he's a great guy he's a great guy but he's doing tiktok dances and putting them up on he's, he's giving fodder to the other team well yeah, he strikes me he strikes me as a totally different personality than antonio brown completely oh, I different i don't disagree with that at all i'm just saying he's he's more about his brand than he is the team and i think in football it has to be team. Yeah, but I don't necessarily agree with that. And again, you you have a better sense of the pulse of the Steelers. But everything that I've read about Juju is that he's incredibly well-liked by his teammates. Now, Antonio Brown was respected because of his ridiculous work ethic and his production. But right. he held himself completely apart from the team. Yeah. Juju doesn't do that. He's not right. an island. So uh, Juju strikes me as much more of a fun-loving guy. Sure, he likes social media, but he is not a self-absorbed sure. cancer 
like Antonio Brown was, who basically counted on the fact that it doesn't matter what I do because I'm one of the two best receivers in football. I'm going to the Hall of Fame, and so I'm just going to be able to do whatever I want. That That is not – from what I've read, Juju's personality. No, and I don't disagree with that. I just, the TikTok stuff, it's inciting other teams. He does it. He does a dance on their, their logo. Sure. But maybe that's some immaturity. I also think that if you told Juju, listen, you got to knock that off. It's not helping the team. He would stop. Well, that, and that's a Tomlin thing. Tomlin hasn't told yeah. him to do that. And until he does, he's going to keep doing it. And he already said when he signed back for another year, I'm going to keep doing that. That's, that's who I am. Well, that's a Tomlin issue to me. I feel like the player control is lacking from Tomlin. Now, has that hindered them? I, I can't, you can't causality. I don't know, but it feels like whenever there's a chance to do the stupid thing, they do it. They don't seem to be in condition. They don't seem to be able to finish games. They don't seem to be able to control the personalities and maybe nobody could. I'm not saying I'm not a coach in the NFL. I don't know what not everybody's Bill Belichick, you know, and I think Antonio Brown would not have done any filming in the locker room when he was that one week he was with the with the Patriots because of who Bill Belichick is. Tomlin allows that type of stuff. So well, it'll be I mean, here's the thing. This is Ben's last rodeo. Yeah, um, and I don't think that was a good idea either. I, I don't think he should have come back. I don't think they should have brought him back. Personally. Well, again, this all comes down to, again, who else are you going to get? Who are you going to bring in? I think they're, they're willing to run it back one more time. He took a, you know, he took a pay cut. So now he's going to live in a refrigerator box. Sure. Um, sure. I, I, again, I think it's a completely justifiable uh, contract. Is it, could they, would I have been outraged if they went in another direction? No teams entitled to do what they want, but I just, I find it, Again, I just find it amusing that you seem so adamant that this is an indefensible thing that they did. I just don't see it. Well, I, I'm I'm kind of tongue in cheek with it because I I know it doesn't matter what I want um, as far as that, but I just feel like you you got a plan for the after. What will the Steelers' record be this coming season? Eight and eight. <laughs> because I you think know what. I, I actually predict they're going to have a surprise. I think they're going to go 10 and six. Well, unless they draft a stud at running back, they don't have any running running backs to speak of that are any good. And Ben is hobbled. He's not. Well, we'll he's see. Eight years old. I don't think yeah, he's, he's going to go fly to Germany like tiger and get that platelet uh, therapy. Yeah. My, more likely he's going to go to his cryotherapy with Antonio Brown and burn his feet. Yeah, so, that's true. More likely to, to me. All right. All right. I always enjoy it when Chad whines about Mike Tomlin. So I was glad that we got that in at the end. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Tree Production.